What's going on, Element City Church? How is everyone doing tonight? Good. All right. And for those of you who are joining in online, a special welcome to you as well. My name is Lyle. I'm one of the pastors here. And just want to say uh, we're excited to get to worship together tonight. And so uh, a couple things if you're brand new uh, and you're tuning in online. We've got an online host that's just sitting there waiting to interact with you in the chat. So if you need prayer requests for something, if you uh, have questions about anything with the church, uh, feel free to, to mention it in the comments. In fact, you can even uh, say hello right now. Let us know where you're tuning in from. Uh, and you also see a link up there that'll tell us if you're new where you can click to fill out a connection card and so uh, if that is you and you're curious about getting more information about the church you can punch in a little bit of information we'd be happy to let you know more about who we are and how you can get connected here at elements for those of you who are here in the room you can do the same thing uh, you can even pull your phone out now we've got a phone number you can text into it's five two zero three four zero six eight six eight and just text the word hello uh, and that'll get, uh, it text you a link back and just tap the link, fill in a couple pieces of info, and that'll let us su uh, successfully Facebook stalk you uh, like everybody does these days. So, uh, yeah, also you can get the Element City Church app inside the app store of your choosing uh, if you're running Apple, Google, Pixel. There's so many options now. Samsung, OnePlus, right? If you even want to reach out and get the... It's wild, isn't it? Anyway, I digress. All right, so Element City Church app. Download the app. Uh, information there. You can get the connection card through there. You can get playlists in there. Uh, you can get sermon notes in there. You can go back and watch previous sermons. Uh, so many ways that you can get connected through the app. So that's a great thing uh, to have in your hands. So how many of you went to the baseball game last night? All right. Here was a win. Is that right? Big win. It was like 19 to 2 is what Jack said. So that's a good night for us to go. Perhaps... The Lord's blessing was with, no, the, because we were the one, no, all right, whatever. Juve probably wants us to come back now. They're like, oh, it's definitely those elements, guys. So, uh, yeah, glad that we were able to do that to support our youth. Uh, and so we're going to have some more events coming up so that we can help raise some funds to send them to camp uh, and help get some scholarships for those who are going to be going. Why? Because the camp prices are getting outrageous. If you've not seen them lately, it's wild. So uh, we definitely want to come alongside our youth and make sure that they're able to go. And that, that ticket sale, that was a, a one way that we get to, to bless them and help them do that. So for those of you who went, thank you so much uh, for believing in the next generation of believers who are coming after you that's awesome that you all did that and that's one of the things I love about our church is the way that we look uh, to the generations that are to come and look to bless them so let's all stand together we're going to worship here in a moment uh, and get started with that We've got a couple songs Jack's going to preach we're starting a new series tonight in Romans chapter 8 one of the just strongest chapters in all of scripture it's fantastic so uh, we're going to be in there for the next I think five or six weeks uh, he's going to be kicking us off tonight just right there right at the beginning with Romans 8 1 but before that we're going to pray for the church of the week and pray for ourselves um, so the church of the week is, is a victory outreach Tucson City Church that's a whole thing victory outreach Tucson City Church there you go and their pastor Sal Perez we want to pray for them uh, as well for us tonight uh, as we uh, just get to, to enjoy the presence of God as we worship him in song and as we worship him in the word. So let's pray together. So Jesus, tonight is all about you. We lift you up. We worship you. And so I know for all of us, we've, we've had the day go by and, and maybe there's been stresses, maybe there's been frustrations, maybe it's been a great day, but for all of us, we come in here and our hearts are just in a different place. And so we just take a moment to acknowledge that. And so right now, would you begin to just draw our hearts to your beauty, to experience your goodness, 
to have an awareness of your glory. You're with us. You're already here. Your spirit is already alive and working and moving as he always is. And what a beautiful thing that this song, uh, this, this hallelujah that all the churches around the world have raised. It started more than a day ago as the sun came up over New Zealand and Australia and as, just, as the world turned. There have been churches all over this globe who've worshiped you, who've sung the songs of praise to you that we're about to sing. And so we just get to join into the everlasting chorus of angels who are gathered around the throne singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so we recognize your holiness tonight, God. We recognize that we don't get to just come before you on our own accord, but because of what Jesus did for us, the blood that he spilled and poured out for us, we enter into your presence because of that. And so we come into your presence, as your word says, with thanksgiving, with praise. We pray for Victory Outreach Tucson Church. We pray for Pastor Sal there. We, we ask your blessing over them. God, you're alive and at work here in Tucson. And there's so many churches in this city uh, that are seeking to reach out to the million plus people who are in this metro area, hundreds of thousands of which who don't know you. And so we need all of our churches in this city firing on all cinders, completely in touch with your Holy Spirit, working together to bring awakening and revival to this city. And so God, we pray for them that you would equip them with the vision that they need, with the budget that they need, with uh, just ideas of how they uh, can reach out to their community and the place where you've planted them here in Tucson to make an impact uh, amongst those who, who are near to them. We pray God that uh, in profound ways that you would provide for them that would just continue to draw their hearts back to you, to see uh, how you love them and how you're working and stirring things up in their community. And, uh, and so Jesus, we thank you that you are alive and well, not just there, but here in the elements tonight. So awaken our hearts to your glory, to sing to you the praises that you deserve. And all these songs we sing tonight, we sing in faith because we know who you are. We know the God whom we serve. There's nothing better than you, Jesus. There's nothing you can't do. There's nothing outside uh, of your abilities. And so because of that, we come to worship you tonight, asking you to take the dead spaces of our heart and to bring them back to life in a way that only you can. Be with us tonight as we worship Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Just one. 
the glory because of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. That's why we worship him tonight. So let's sing this together. Not to us, but to your name. We lift up all praise. Not to us, but to your name. We lift up all praise. Not to us. Not to us, but to your name, we lift up.
kind of this interesting story um, that takes place in First Chronicles chapter 21, where David sinned against the Lord as he's king, and, um, and he needs to make amends for that. And so he goes uh, to this place where he's led by an angel of the Lord and shows up at this threshing floor, and he needs to make a sacrifice. He's going to build an altar to the Lord and make a sacrifice there to repent of the sin that he had committed when he took a census of the people of Israel. And uh, the, the guy who owned the threshing floor with a really good heart kind of comes forward and says that he wants to give the bull and he wants to give the land all this and he just wants to honor the king. So he's going to give it all to the king. And then David responds with something that's kind of interesting. And he says, no, I'm going to pay the full price for it because I'm not going to sacrifice something that costs me nothing. And I think about what worship sometimes looks like for us here in the American church and on a Sunday. And I wonder how often what we bring to God is really a sacrifice in our hearts. That's not meant to make us, you know, feel guilty tonight. That's not my heart in this at all. It's just in taking account of my own life. Um, there's just times that it's real easy to sing certain songs. Um, but we're going to sing a song uh, tonight together here. Um, that's, it's costly for me. Um, in fact, I'm not even leading it. We're going to have Lexi lead it for that reason. But um, also, she sounds way prettier singing it than any guy would. So uh, this is a song that's called Tent. And so you get to the chorus and the whole metaphor that's being used here is, um, so be a gardener in my heart, tend the soil of my soul. That's the prayer. And so often when we sing songs like this, you know, you get to this second verse, uh, and there's this line of uh, about how, you prepare me for times that are upcoming. And so often when we think of the times that are coming up, we're, we're thinking how God prepares us for good times. But the line in the songs, you prepare me for darkened times, that in the winter we're still alive. And so I don't know what season of life you might be in. You might feel like you're in a winter season. You might feel like here in Tucson that you're very metaphorically and very literally in a desert. And the challenge with a song like this, because it's costly, is it's, it's this prayer that recognizes that going into the desert is not a place of weakness. It's a place of strength because that's where God strengthened his son Jesus. That's why Jesus went out into the wilderness before he began his ministry so that God could strengthen him as he needed to be strengthened. And it's interesting that when Jesus comes back from fasting, what does he do? He immediately gets to work. He's casting out demons. He's doing all these things. And the disciples can't figure out why he's able to do it. And he says, well, it's because these things require prayer and fasting. Jesus literally knew what he needed to do to prepare for that moment. And so that's the beauty of the song. That's the cost to this song. There's a cost to say, have your way in me, Jesus because sometimes the things that he's calling you to are things that if you knew in advance, you would never say yes to it. And I know that that's been true in my life. And yet what I've recognized for any person who sings this song and who's been through the desert, you know that it's worth it. You know what it's like on the other side to see him come through in miraculous ways and powerful ways. And so that's my heart for you, for all of us as a church, that we would be a church that when we bring our sacrifice of praise, it's not something that costs us nothing, but we recognize to say, Jesus is Lord and savior of our lives. That means I have to get out of the way. 
I have to lay down my will and I have to trust the gardener to do what he needs to do in my life so that I can be who I need to be. So that's what this is about. If you wanna sit and let Lexi sing this over, you can. If you wanna stand and sing along, just invite you to find freedom in this moment as we continue to worship.
That's our heart tonight, Lord. Would you allow us just the, the grace to submit to you as the cardinal of our heart, as the one who sees uh, the dead branches that are in our life or sometimes the branches that are running wild that need to be redirected for better growth. Give us a heart that is willing to let you cut those branches off and to throw them away recognizing that it's for our good. That the things that are within us that you love about us and that you love about the way that you created us, the things in our personalities, the things that are our little quirks, whatever it might be. God, there's reason to all of those things. And you love those things about us and you want those things to flourish in us. And so we want to be a people who just submit to you, to have your way. And so that's our prayer tonight, Lord. Would you have your way in this time? Let your Holy Spirit come and work freely. I pray it all in Jesus' name. I love that song. Hopefully that was meaningful to you and it's an invitation kind of continues to go along with our, our mission that we are an inviting community of Jesus followers who've been commissioned by the gospel to make disciples and cultivate relationships with the love of Christ, which begins with us cultivating that relationship ourselves and cultivating the relationships with those around us and Tonight, uh, we're leaning into kind of continuing off of Easter, and we, we went through a little series called kind of Resist and Rest, and we were resisting the, the work of the enemy and the, the poison that he's about and, and resting in the finished work of Jesus. And, and I wanted us to spend some time uh, in uh, what Martin Luther, 500 years ago, so a long time ago, said is the greatest chapter in all the Bible. In Romans chapter 8. And to understand Romans chapter 8, we're going to spend some time the next six or seven weeks kind of diving in through it and gleaning some things for us. So if, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, then this is actually what we've been gifted and given in uh, our relationship with Jesus. And if maybe you're someone who's just spiritually searching, uh, we want to invite you to maybe lean in a little closer to what, who Jesus is and what he really has accomplished and offered 
to you. Now, we live in a cultural context, and especially maybe even in a moment of history, that has a lot of for and against reality around us. How many of you would say you recognize that tension every week when you watch the news or every week of when you just go about your life, that there is so many topics and themes and uh, situations that are either for or against, and people get heated about it. In fact, here's some essays that some high school honors English and uh, early college professors were saying, hey, here's some for and against issues that they would have people write about. Should members of Congress have term limits? You might have some for and against statements in that. Are CEOs paid too much? Do violent video games cause behavior problems? You might be have for or against. Should alcohol drinking age be changed? Is ice cream appropriate for dinner? Yes, we're all for this, okay? This is true. Okay, is global change caused by humans? Are cell phones dangerous? Is greater gun control a good idea? And you have probably opinions on those topics, either for or against. And the reality is there's so many uh, scenarios and situations that happen around us, topics and themes that come through that kind of build that tension of for and against. And we all live and swim in those waters and the tension it creates. In fact, you may have even gone through a time in life where you have found yourself uh, navigating people who are maybe against you. Uh, maybe it was a boss. Maybe it was just a friend. Maybe it's a spouse or a child. Maybe a coworker, a neighbor, and you felt the angst with that. And, and it's interesting in our cultural moment how many people actually be begin to believe that God is actually against them. Mark Batterson, an author, pastor, writes this, the most insidious lie we can ever believe about God is that he is somehow against us. Because the gospels, the life of Jesus, his very words shout the opposite reality. Yet, many people believe the untruth that God is actually against them. And they might even begin to say, okay, that's why the rules of religion that's why they actually, that's why there's so many. And they begin to speculate into that. Or when things are challenging in life, they begin to associate that maybe God is actually out to get me. And he's allowing all these things. And so they begin to associate some of the negativity that happens in life. But Martin Luther, 500 years ago, said there's some truths in this chapter, in Romans chapter 8, that the apostle Paul records for us that is the greatest chapter in all the Bible. Now, I don't know what he said the second greatest chapter was. I'm just telling you what a guy who changed a lot of Christianity and Protestantism uh, had to say about this particular chapter we're going to look at. And what you're going to see in the Apostle Paul is that from the very beginning to the very end, in these 39 verses, it begins with this idea of no condemnation and ends with this idea that there's no separation for those who are in Christ. Maybe the pivotal verse is in a question, verse 31. What shall we say about these, such of these wonderful things that he unpacks this whole chapter? If God is for us, who can be against us? A true reminder that as a follower of Christ, as a one who has positioned themselves in Jesus, is following after him, no matter what moment your life holds, and no matter what is in that particular moment, that, that, there's nothing in that moment that is bigger than God, and he, friend, is for you. He is not against you. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, you may have maybe one of your favorite verses in this particular chapter. A lot of people do. Um, when you read through the book of Romans chapter 8, uh, there's so many that you will see on placards. There's so many that you will see people quote uh, throughout time. And what's interesting through this chapter is to remember the author. This is the Apostle Paul, uh, who was actually known as Saul before his story changed. And so we can't divorce that reality from who he is. See, Saul was a Jewish zealot, and he was actually sent to stamp out this movement of Christianity, this movement called the Way back then in the first century, these followers of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 8 and 9, you can read the story of Saul who meets Jesus. Jesus shows up and says, why are you persecuting me? And he begins to change Saul's life, changes his name to Paul. And he goes on to write two-thirds of your New Testament that we have recorded. And for many of you, maybe that's your story. God showed up in your story, and it changed everything instantly. And for others of you, maybe your faith story has been the story of slow, gradual change over a long period of time, over many years, and ups and downs in that. And no matter where your story is, you'll find yourself in some truths in this chapter that I think is not only pivotal, uh, but it's foundational to our faith and understanding. So here's how he begins the very first verse of chapter 8. And if you have uh, your phone, you can go down to sermon notes, follow along. If you have your Bible, you can open it up. Uh, here's what he says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is an amazing statement to start off this chapter. Therefore. Now, Anytime you read the word therefore, you need to ask yourself, what is it there for? That's the trick, okay? That's how you have literary like integrity with this. If he's saying therefore, there's something that came before it. And really what Paul has done for seven chapters is build a case of why we need Jesus and why Jesus is our only hope. In fact, the book of Romans is kind of his greatest work by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to show you that the depths and the reality of everything Jesus accomplished. And in chapter 7, right before this, he has this inner struggle. Anyone ever had an inner struggle? Anyone ever realized that, anyone ever asked yourself this question, why did I do that? Like, why did I yell at that person? Like, this is my spouse. Like, I chose her. I chose him. And like, they mean the most to me. Why did I react the way I don't want to react to people? Anyone ever struggled with this? This is chapter 7. This is Paul unpacking this reality of why do I do what I don't want to do? How do I deal with my shame, my guilt, my sin, my self-loathing, my brokenness? What do I do about this? And he gets to the end of chapter 7. He's like, ah, I'm paraphrasing. That's pretty much what you're going to see in chapter 7. Who's going to rescue me, he says. And then he answers his question, and it leads us in to chapter 8. Jesus to the rescue. Who's going to rescue me from me and who I am and what this body, what this mind wants to do, even when I know it's not the best to do? Why do I struggle with this? Who will rescue me? Thanks be to God. For Jesus Christ, he's the one who rescues me. And now that I'm rescued, therefore, 
There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. In Christ, you are no longer defined by what you have done wrong. You are now defined by what Jesus has done right on your behalf. We get to ride his coattails. To steal another uh, Paulinian phrase, you are now hidden in Christ. You'll see that in a lot of the epistles that he writes in the New Testament. To take this cue from Paul to say, we, what was credited to Jesus is now credited to you because you are with him and you are in him. Uh, you are with him and you get the privileges that, were, uh, kind of, that he has himself. My friend Danny uh, was opening for uh, David Crowder. Maybe you've heard of David Crowder. And we were in Denver, right? And so we went to see Danny because we knew Danny. I've heard of David Crowder. I've heard of their band. And we were with Danny, and we showed up at the concert place at this, uh, at this worship conference that they were doing. And Danny's like, hey, meet me in the back. And we go in the back, and we go in, and we're in the green room with all these people. And my kids are there, and this is pretty awesome. And we get to walk to the side of the stage, and we get to watch the concert and enjoy this worship experience with David Crowder Band, which is pretty awesome, from the side of the stage. And my kids, their eyes are like just giant. They're small, and they're huge, and they're like, these are awesome. We listen to these songs all the time. And we're here. We're on the side of the stage. Why did I get to go to that? Is it because Jack's awesome? No. I'm just with Danny. I got to go with Danny wherever he went because he was with the show. That is what Paul's saying. When you are with Jesus, you get to go with him. You get the privileges that are due him. I didn't experience that because I was awesome, because I knew Danny, and he was with the show. In Christ is this phrase that Paul uses all the time. It's the most used description that the Apostle Paul uses throughout uh, his letters and his epistles. You have been forgiven. You are given grace. You no longer have to work for it, to earn it. You are chosen and pursued by God. You're not left to try to scrounge it up for yourself. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. See the end of Romans chapter 8. You've been made new, given a right standing with God, not based on your merit. You are being renewed. You're being sanctified. It's a $10 theology word that basically means God is renewing you over and over, on and on and on. That's what Paul writes in Philippians 1.6. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That this sanctification work will go. One of our deepest problems in the Christian faith, I know for me at times, is I struggle to actually believe this truth. And I don't think I'm alone. I think one of the, the biggest struggles for followers of Jesus is we actually struggle to believe this because we live in a world and against a backdrop where I am measured by what I do. I'm measured by what I perform and how I perform or the lack thereof. And most of us approach our life of faith in the same context of maybe a life of work or a life of relationships if you don't invest in relationships, then you can't expect uh, them to have a profitable return in that. We know this to be true. And we see this in the Christian faith, too, that if I ignore God and I never invest in my relationship, that's why we're invited to have him tend to us, uh, to cultivate, which means I participate in that. I'm not aloof from it, but it is not based on my merit. Paul's saying, no, you're with Jesus. 
And what was credited to him is now credited to you. Katerima is this Greek word for condemnation. It means to condemn or to render a verdict of guilty. A legal decision of guilt and a verdict in a criminal case, then the ensuing punishment would be endured. Like, what you have coming is what you're going to get. And why we have no more condemnation is because what he's going to say in a couple more verses. There is now no condemnation for you who have put your faith in Jesus. You have a hope. You have been renewed. When did it start? Now. Like, it started the moment you said yes to Jesus. We celebrated baptisms last week. The moment people say yes to Jesus, their life is changed. Their identity is forever gifted anew to you. That's the beauty of Romans chapter 8. That's the beauty of what we see in the scriptures is that it's not your identity to form yourself. It's not your identity to try to create yourself. The gift of God is he's given you a new identity. It's one that he crafted for you. It's one that he's calling you forward into. It's this you are no longer condemned. No one in this room has more access to God's power than you. No one in this room has access to more of God's forgiveness than you. No one in this room has access to more of God's love than you. That everything was gifted to you at the very beginning. You no longer stand under God's condemnation. We are fully forgiven and accepted through Jesus and what he accomplished for you. That's why we still celebrate Easter weeks and weeks after. Because Easter is an all-time reality, not a one-time thing. We're not under God's condemnation for our brokenness and our sin any longer. Now, we all still suffer consequences of decisions and choices and things that we make, choices that we go after, actions that we take, we each face consequences. But we no longer are under the condemnation from a holy God. We are no longer objects of wrath. We are no longer set apart. We are embraced by this grace of Jesus and invited into. And often we end up beating ourselves up for the very things Jesus has already forgiven us for. And we become stuck in a cycle. We lay in bed at night and we wonder, did God really forgive me for that? Did God really forgive me for that? I mean, I don't even forgive me for that. Anyone ever had these internal conversations as you lay there and you think back over the scenarios and the realities of your life? But you have to remember who wrote this. Paul. Do you think he ever suffered with that? the man who oversaw the beginning of the persecution of the church and actually watched over people dying for their faith in Jesus that he oversaw. This is the struggle of Romans chapter seven. Why do I do what I don't wanna do? Who's gonna deal with my shame and brokenness? Because I got a lot of it, is what he's saying. See, there's two voices that often come our way, the voice of condemnation or the voice of God. The voice of condemnation will rush you, it will discourage you, it will make you obsess over the things that you cannot change or the things that you have done. Condemnation confuses you, it speaks shame over you, and it is the voice and the whisper of the enemy. But the voice of God will always quiet you, it will still your heart, still your soul. It will lead you, it will comfort you, 
It will convict you without pushing you away. It will invite you toward God's best for you. It's the whispers of Jesus. Most of us struggle with the voice of condemnation, speaking more loudly into our life instead of the voice of God. And you think about Paul. Everything that he oversaw before Jesus got a hold of him. I can't imagine laying in bed at night as Saul and then as Paul, thinking back to what he actually did to persecute the church. And how does Paul get to this answer? It's through faith. It's through this realization. There is now, because of what Jesus did, no condemnation over me any longer. I don't have to listen to that voice. I don't have to listen to the whispers of the enemy. This is what he goes on to say. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus, verse two, because through Jesus Christ, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Anyone ever been in a courtroom before? Anyone ever got to serve on a jury before? I know some of us, we try to avoid it. We try to... <coughs> I'm sick, I can't be there. Uh, like all that kind of stuff, right? Um, <clears throat> I'm not accusing you. I know some people have done that. But I actually got to serve on a jury. I've only been called twice. I got picked once and it was super fun. Anyone ever been on a jury before? Uh, it's such a fascinating experience to be in the courtroom. Uh, I got to be the alternate juror, which really stinks, by the way. Okay, so like I'm alternate. I'm in the box. Like I'm in the box, but I'm like on the outskirts of the box. So like I'm not in the box, like the cool people. I'm like on the outskirts. Anyway, so you're there and you get to see the whole courtroom scene. And, and what you notice right away is the judge sits a little bit higher. And he or she has that cool robe and that gavel thing. Like when that hits, like everything stops. There's power in that. And then you have the prosecutors, right? And they're all decked out in the suits. And you got the defendant who's like looking good, okay? But yet there's some stuff that's happened. Whatever the court case maybe that you oversaw was, there's some things, but they're trying to pretty the person up because we're trying to make sure that this doesn't happen. We don't want this to happen. But the other people are like, we just go and have it, right? And there's all this stuff. They're trying to pile up the case. And you can sit through the box. You've watched the shows. It's different than Judge Judy or Judge like Steve Harvey has a new show. Family Feud guy is a judge now? I don't understand. Okay, anyway. All right, so this courtroom scene, it describes this idea. And this is what Paul has been building for seven chapters, really. Really, the first seven chapters of Romans is Paul is the spiritual lawyer, if you will. And he's sitting in this defendant chair. You're sitting there in the defendant chair. And he's building this case. Hey, there's something that's going to happen here. The prosecutors are there. They're persecuting this idea of the law is this perfect standard of behavior and conduct. And when your conduct and your behavior and your actions and your choices and your decisions are stacked up against the perfect rule of God, you fall woefully short of what actually should be. And Paul's building this case that the law has actually found you out, found me out. And we stand guilty on all charges. The judge just hasn't given the verdict yet, but we all know where it's going. That's what Paul's saying. And he's building this case and building this case and building this case until 
the very last part of Romans chapter 7. Who's going to rescue me? I'm toast, is what Paul is saying. Woo! Thanks be to Jesus. I'm rescued. I'm freed. There is now no condemnation over me. There's, I've been set freed in this. See, the law, when you stack up against it, actually breeds a sense of condemnation. Either we all come to the realization that, yeah, I don't measure up, and I'm just feeling condemned and weighed down. Or the law, if you're doing okay, or you think you're doing okay, it actually begins to breed a sense of superiority in you and in me. And I've been there. Where it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm better than so-and-so. Right? And we all measure around the people around us, right? We're like, well, I, I'm, okay, they're here. I'm at least here. Okay, they're here, and then there's that other person. They're like way down here. I'm at least here. Okay, I may not be up here where God is, but I'm like, I'm closer. And so, like, there's this sense of superiority. There's this sense. Anyone ever flown first class? Don't raise your hand because we'll judge you. Um, but have you ever walked onto an airplane and you're walking through first class? That's me, every story. I've never been in first class. And I'm walking through to the regular people seats, right? <clears throat> don't you feel like those people are just better? As you're walking by, you're kind of silently judging them. Like, yeah, you think you're all that. Us regular people are cool too. You know, we have talents and abilities. I don't have the money that you do. Um, but like, like you have that. Anyone ever been to, like, I, I've been to lots of baseball games. A few of us were at the baseball game last night. But one time I actually got, uh, I won tickets to sit in the skybox and like we got there, and I just thought it was such a cool treat as a regular guy who usually sits in the stands and the bleachers way out there to sit in the skybox. But here's what I found even in myself. Halfway through the game, do you know what I started feeling internally? Oh, those poor people. Those poor people out there, they got to pay for food. Me, I can walk 10 feet. I've got all the food I want right here in the skybox. Like, this is awesome. Those poor people out there. And you start feeling this sense of superiority. And listen, for those of you who have been walking with Jesus for a while, when you feel like you've got it or you feel like you're doing okay at it, listen, the law has a way of either bringing condemnation where I'm nothing, I'm dirt, I'm a worm, I'll never make it, and I'm broken. Or it actually begins to breed a sense of superiority if you're doing okay at it. But the problem is it's a false sense of superiority. You've just actually forgotten how broken you really are. You've actually just forgotten how cracked you really are. And what the law does, the first seven chapters of Romans is basically setting this up to say, listen, um, you're way more gone than you think you are. But here's the good news. God loves you anyway. And he actually pursues a relationship with you. See, the plan of salvation is really clear. Life with God is not found by keeping the law, keeping the rules of God in this elitist kind of manner. Life with God is found by faith in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of your sins through his sacrifice, period. That's it. That's the gospel. That's the invitation to keep holding on to. That's why Paul writes, 
Why do I keep doing what I don't want to do? This internal struggle we've all had. Who's going to rescue me? It's hopeless with just me. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. That's the epiphany of this beginning part as he turns the corner from Romans 8 on through the end, giving us some hope because the first whole part was just beating us up. You're set free. The verdict has come down if you go back to the courtroom scene. And Jesus is the judge. And he slams the gavel down. And he says, not guilty. And those two words change everything for you going forward. Not guilty. See, in life, we will face consequences. But we no longer face the condemnation of a perfect and holy God. Your past can humble you. But God doesn't want your past to haunt you. Your past can humble you, but your past doesn't have to haunt you any longer. That's the freedom that Paul is writing about because that's the freedom that he found in his relationship with Jesus. Our old stories don't have to have the final say or sway over our lives. It's the reality that the judge, the true righteous judge, Jesus, stands up in that moment in the courtroom and says, you are free, not guilty. Here's what Paul says, verses one through four. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus, because through Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be met. But we do not live according to the flesh, but we now live according to the spirit. And this is where Paul begins to introduce the role of the Holy Spirit for the whole rest of the book, the whole rest of these chapters, the hope that we have that Jesus was the sin offering, another theology word, propitiation. This idea that the wrath of God, that deserved the righteousness of wrath, meaning the brokenness, the sin, all of that, it deserves punishment. It's not that it gets to skate free. Someone has to pay it. But the judge, who is Jesus, stood up and said, not guilty, I'll pay the bill. And he took it. And what transpired on the cross was that God's righteous judgment was poured out on Jesus and it missed you. And it missed me. And now, because I'm with him and his resurrection and in his power and in his forgiveness and in his presence, I get to ride with him. See, my past cast a shadow of condemnation over me. But the light from Jesus shines a whole new light and the shadow disappears. I'm with him. Has anyone had a past that you want blotted out, the, the light of God to shine over and dismiss had you have that? Paul did. And now there's no condemnation. See, the word devil in Hebrew actually means accuser. The scriptures paint this picture that he is constantly accusing us of all things, the things we've done wrong, all the things we've done, reminding us of all the reasons God shouldn't pay attention to us or to care for us, that there's no way God can forgive us. There's no way that he can actually love us. The devil is the plaintiff. 
spewing accusations, piling on the guilt and the shame, and becomes encumbering. But Jesus is the judge, and his words are what matter most in the courtroom. And his words, not guilty, are the words that breathe freedom into those who have put their faith in Jesus. You're freed. You're now freed to run in the story of God that awaits you. The reason why the devil will always bring up your past is because he has no power over your future. And he wants you to stay stuck in your past. And Jesus says, no, I want you to follow me into the future that we will journey in together. Your past does not define you any longer. It may humble you, but it does not have ownership rights over you any longer. You have been set free. That's the hope we have in Jesus. That's the beautiful reality of Romans chapter eight. Why do I do this whole building thing of chapter seven? Who's gonna rescue me? Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ who delivers me. Therefore, what's it there for? A whole bunch of stuff. We just went over it. Therefore, there is now, not later, not in the past, now. Well, what about tomorrow? Well, then it'll be now. See how that works? Now, there is now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. And so as the team comes to lead us in this last song of worship, I'm just gonna invite you to, to take a moment and, and to, to ask God, God, would you help me to live as a freed one? God is the one who freed you. If you put your faith in Jesus, you are now invited to live with that sense of freedom. And that doesn't mean you don't face consequences. We all do. And that doesn't mean that we aren't humbled by some of our choices and decisions and the things we pursue that are not God's best. But it is this invitation to continue to live into the identity that's been gifted to you. See, when the verdict comes down as not guilty, then that changes everything going forward. There's no more courtroom scene. There's no more trial. This is the final verdict. And Jesus is saying, for all of you who have chosen me, put your faith in me in my life, my death, my resurrection, you are free. And so, Father, I pray for us as followers, whether we're watching online, here in the room, it's so easy to let the voice of condemnation be the voice that haunts us. To, be the, to listen to the accusations that the enemy loves to throw at us, to keep us stuck, to keep us wondering if you love us, if you'll forgive us, if you actually even want to be around us. But Jesus, it's your life, it's your death, it's your resurrection that proves the truth that is that we are pursued, we are wanted, and we are now freed because of faith in you. Would you help us be a people that live with the freedom that that now offers us? Freedom to choose you, freedom to choose your best, freedom to ignore the realities and the pull of the world around us, to choose what's better, to pursue you to let you cultivate and tend within us a heart that follows after you. And so as we sing this song,
Would you meet us and refresh us with the freedom that's been given us in Jesus? days on earth are numbered. My life is just a vapor. I'm here and then tomorrow I'll be gone. If I only have this moment to live for what's important, I don't want to waste a second time to count for what matters most. I want to love you with all of my heart. I want to love you with all of my soul. Jesus, you're my one ambition. With every breath you give, I'll give you another prayer. Another praise, another praise. You said the road is narrow, it costs everything to follow. I count it all as lost compared to you. Oh, my treasure is not a thing, my prize is waiting for me. When my Savior face comes into view but today I'll run the race you've called me to Yeah. 
See, we want to grow the heart of a worshiper within us, not to earn something from God, because he's given us so much. It's like a natural reaction, natural response to worship and to give a praise, to worship with our body, soul, our mind, because of everything he's given us. Friends, if you are in Christ, there's no condemnation for you. We all face consequences, but the condemnation has been lifted, not guilty, freed. Walk in that freedom, live in that freedom. Let love begin to flow between you and God in that freedom. Let love begin to flow to the people around you because of the freedom. That's what Paul's saying. And so thanks for being here tonight, for tuning in online, those of you who are joining us from there. Um, <clears throat> thank you to all of you who partner with us uh, financially, kind of helping the church be everything that, uh, that we're aiming to be and to fulfill the mission, pursue after that. Uh, we don't pass a plate if you're new around here. Uh, we have a couple of giving boxes in the back. A lot of folks give online, uh, either through the app or online at elementcitychurch.org. You could do that if you want to join uh, and be a part of that. Thank you to all of you who do and allow us to be uh, the church and a function with that. Uh, just a quick reminder, marriage retreat is coming up August 11, 12, 13. If you're interested in that, uh, we're looking to people to sign up like this month, just putting down the deposit. The stuff could be due in the summer. But if you just get the deposit, that's so we make sure we get enough rooms. Uh, we're doing that with a manual. Uh, and I do have a couple scholarships available. So if you'll pay the deposit and then come talk to me or talk to Lyle, um, we'd love to help you be able to go and have some time to invest in your marriage. And that, uh, if you are new, I met a couple of you who are new. We do a 10-minute party. It happens in the back. Karen's already back there. Karen, uh, you're a lawyer. Was the courtroom scene okay? Okay, good. Okay, perfect. Uh, she's the friendly lawyer. I just want you to know that. Uh, she's back to meet you. If you're new, we'd love to meet you at the 10-minute party. And then tonight, we, every night, uh, every Sunday night, we have people who go out to dinner. Tonight is Rudy's, which if you have not been to Rudy's, it's the best barbecue, I'm telling you. It's pretty good barbecue. Um, and there's only one Rudy's in Tucson, so if you type in Rudy's, it'll find, uh, people will be there in about 25 minutes. We'll have a group there. Uh, you're welcome to join us for that. But may you walk in God's freedom that he's gifted you and given you in your true identity that you didn't create, but you were gifted. And may you live that kind of love back to him and to the people that you meet this week. Go in peace. We'll see you next Sunday.